Welcome to the Antioch Sheffield podcast. We are so glad that you can join us for today's message. For more information about Antioch Sheffield, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk. It is so good to worship together. I want to thank Katrina and the worship team for all the hard work they've been doing since uh, lockdown began. They've been uh, forced to innovate, and I'm so thankful for the way that they have uh, found the ways that they found to lead us in worship. Well, we're going to transition now, and normally at this point we would have a sermon. Uh, but as you can tell, uh, it's not just me up here today. I'm joined by Ronan Walker, uh, a longtime friend of mine. Uh, Ronan and I go way back. I actually met Ronan in prison. Uh, not when I was in prison, but, uh, well, technically we were both in prison that day. Uh, Ronan was not a prisoner, however. Ronan is a chaplain at a prison. I had gone out there to meet with a prisoner, and uh, Ronan helped facilitate that meeting. We really just hit it yeah. off. Yeah, and um, uh, at a, uh, we met up later for a coffee, and I got to hear Ronan's story, and this was all the way back in 2013. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I just remember, and it was early 2014, and I remember thinking, I want the church to hear this story. I, I really would love for everybody to be able to hear what God's done in Ronan's life. And uh, th- because he's a chaplain, we haven't had the opportunity to bring him in because he's busy on Sundays. Uh, but this is one of those unique opportunities that lockdown gives us is to, to be able to bring in different people. And so I'm really excited. Ronan, yeah. thank you so no, much for it's joining a us privilege today. privilege to be here, Todd. So. Thank you for having me, mate. Yeah. So you're a chaplain at, at a prison. Which prison are you at? In Doncaster Prison. Doncaster Prison. Yeah. And you are uh, married to Nancy. Yep. And you got two kids. You've got... Uh, um, uh, Jonas and jo- Judah. Jonas and Judah. It's based on Jonas yeah, there. Yeah, two Js. So. And yeah. number three on the way. Number three on the way. Yeah. Awesome. That's yeah. so great. That's so good. So great. Well, we'll take us back into your story. Uh, where'd you grow up? Are you a native Sheffielder or, or what's yep. your story? Um, born and bred in Sheffield. Um, my mum is from south coast of Ireland and she met my dad and came over here and we were raised uh, in the Catholic tradition. So we were going to mass and everything like that. Um, went to Catholic school. And then when I was about, I reckon around about 11 or 12, my mum had a profound encounter with the Spirit of God and uh, radically, radically changed her life. Um, so I'm very grateful for what God did in my mum's life. It's profoundly affected my life. And we just watched a change in her and, and through her prayers and her bringing us along to church, um, at the age of about 13, I gave my life to Christ after believing in him in a religious way, having a real relationship. So from the age of 13 or so, uh, Jesus has been my passion in life. Uh, so I'm so grateful to, to what he did in my mum's life that's rolled on into ours as a family. Right, right. So you, your mom had a passion for Jesus and mm. that kind of rubbed off on you. And, yeah, yeah. and then um, as you grew up, you, you had more where you just kind of encountered the Lord at yeah, a yeah. few key points in your life. Tell us about those. Um, well... The thing is, for me, it's my passion for Jesus. I just can't keep it in. So I express, I express so much of what God's doing in my life by sharing it with others. So about, um, I was very grateful that about, how many years ago now? About 11 years ago, God brought me through somebody else into the prison system. And um, it was the first time that I'd seen the fulfillment of the scripture where Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. 
uh, up until that point, we were doing like lots of community evangelism, stuff like that. But actually seeing people who had a hunger for God and wanted to receive Christ was so few and far between for me. So actually being able to go into the prison system and seeing where what happens in prison is people are stripped of their community, of their family, of their mobile phones, or at least they should be. Um, but when, what you find is that when people have got this space in their lives, they can then engage with these questions of who is God and what does he mean for my life? So it's a, an absolute privilege for me that in the prison, I get many, many, many men come in on a weekly basis to come and hear the good news about Jesus and have the privilege of seeing what God's doing in their life. And, and really, it's God drawing people's hearts and I just get to partner with him to see that. So it's a, an immense privilege for me to be able to minister uh, in that type of environment. Uh, but, but really, it isn't just about what I'm doing for God. My, my whole life, I'm, I'm passionate about knowing him more and and that he is the pearl of great price. The intimacy with Jesus is everything. We can, we can see all the wonderful stuff and that would be great, but without intimacy, it, it really doesn't count for much. So my main passion is that I would continually experience the Father's heart, God's Father heart for me in my life, and that I'd be wrecked with his love, and that from that place of intimacy, that I'd just start to see all the wonderful things that Jesus saw in his life that I'm desperate to see in my life, Todd. Amen. Yeah, it's out of that overflow of intimacy with Jesus yeah, that everything yeah. else happens. That's what makes the Christian life worth yeah, it. You know, absolutely. We're not just working for God. We're not just you know, uh, uh, agreeing with theological statements. It's yeah. about a relationship. 100%. 100%. Yeah. And I love what you're saying about prisoners, you know, that they're, they're, they're being stripped of everything mm. in their life. And, and it's, it's at that point that they're yep. perhaps most open to yep. rethinking their life, to reassessing what they believe about God and, and to exploring Christianity. I think a lot of us in, in, who are watching today might be feeling the same way as we've been stripped of, yeah. of so many things in this lockdown situation. Mm. But you went through your own uh, 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 time when everything kind of got stripped away from you. So, yeah, absolutely. So tell us this story right at the very beginning of your of your time working in the prison. Yeah, so uh, I started going into the prison about 2009. Um, and at, at the time, I, I was married to a, a beautiful girl called Catherine. We'd been married three and a half years. Um, and in 2010, um, I'd only kind of been just helping out at that point. I'd never been doing anything. And I was given the op opportunity to... Uh, actually do a Sunday service uh, and a, a lot of people probably listening I don't know if people have uh, had opportunity to to preach but it often we we don't appreciate how much it costs a minister to prepare and to actually deliver uh, a sermon so I remember building up for about three four weeks to this sermon and it was all I ever thought about and I used to feel sick thinking about it but ex excited as well because I knew that God's calling me to this and I'm passionate about Jesus, I'm passionate about preaching the gospel, and I'm passionate about seeing people not only encounter him uh, and be saved, but to be, become everything God's called them to be. So on this um, one Sunday morning, it was on the 21st of, of March, it was my, my day to preach, and this was my big Billy Graham moment. <laughs> and um, every time I tell the story, Todd, I, the numbers probably go up more and more, but... After I preached that morning, uh, about six or seven men came forward to receive Christ. Uh, and it was just beautiful for me to see. And, and I don't know whether I was just riding high on the occasion, but I really sensed the power of God in that place. That, and actually, just after we preached, 
um, and saw guys get saved. A guy came up with a broken hand. He'd punched the wall and we prayed. And in that moment, all pain left and full mobility came back. So it's like, God, you are doing something powerful here. Um, and it was in that moment that I got called to come out to the back of the, out back of the church and a phone call had, had come into the prison. Uh, to say that my wife, Catherine, had been taken to hospital and could I get up to the Northern General as quickly as possible. Um, and what she'd done is that morning she'd gone to the gym before going to church, the church service that morning. So in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, she's, she's probably just not had a breakfast or she's collapsed or something like that. And um, I, my, my memory of the time was it took us forever to get to the hospital uh, there were roadworks, and also even just getting out of a jail, you've got to go through all these locked doors. It took forever, and I didn't have keys, so I'm, I'm following somebody as they're doing that. And all the way to the, to the hospital, I was battling in my heart and in my mind. Um, you know, these are the days before I even had a mobile phone, mate. You know, so it, it's, it's, yeah. there was no kind of me ringing them as soon as I got out. It was one of those where um, I was waiting to, to see them. When we got to the Northern General up at the a and &E, I jumped out of the car and ran in told them who I was and that my wife had been brought in that morning. And they, they whisked me through. And I, I remember we went through into this little room. And I was just kind of like, my mind was all over the place. So I wasn't really prepared for what was going to happen. And I remember thinking, Todd, why have they not brought me to see Catherine? Um, why am I in this little room? And, and it's at that point that things started to dawn. And at that th point, I thought she could be in surgery right now. You know, I don't know what, what's happening. And um, the, the doctor came in with a nurse and they asked me to sit down. And it was at that moment that the, the feeling I had in that moment was it's a bit like being on a roller coaster and you're just about to go down. And in that moment, you've just got no control of what's happening. I just want to go, stop, stop. I want to get off this. And it was at that moment that um, the doctor broke the news to me that um, Catherine had a heart attack on the treadmill that morning at Hillsborough Leisure Centre. And when they went, when people got to her, she wasn't breathing. And people had tried to resuscitate her. Um, and so many people just selflessly tried to bring her back to life, but after working on her for a long time, they couldn't resuscitate her. Um, so at the age of 27, uh, Catherine died from what's, what, what we now know as sudden adult death. Uh, there were, it was a heart condition she had that was un, undetected. So you had no idea she had any health issues? No, no, absolutely not. And, and you know, at the time, she was so vibrant for Jesus. You know, she was a passionate evangelist. We, at the time, we, we had chosen to live in an area of Sheffield that people might know called Pittsmoor. Um, lived in an awful house, but with the, with, the, with the intention of being incarnational in that area to share Christ with people. You know, so we were living radical lives for Jesus. Um, and just the, I don't even know what the word is, but to be kind of all out for Jesus and then to have something so profound hit you, I just wasn't prepared at all for that. I'm, in, in many ways, my theology didn't even handled could handle that at the time um, she was 27 I was 28 at the time and absolutely the news just absolutely wrecked me um, so you're preaching you go out and, yeah. and, and, and it's your very first time to preach yeah you you, you preach and it's you, you see several people yeah 
just choose to follow Jesus, yeah, you yeah. see a, a physical healing take place. Mm. And, and at that same time, your wife is, at, is out for and a jog on a treadmill, yeah. just everyday thing, yeah. and, and, and she just dies. Yeah. And, and that morning, I was actually preaching on why I love Jesus and, you know, talking about why, why Jesus died, talking about judgment, the consequences of sin, talking about hell, but also then talking about what Jesus did for us so that we could go to heaven. So I'm talking about eternity. But there was, there's a big difference between kind of having it up here and something that you're really walking out. And it was in that moment that, that God just made what I was preaching theologically something that was a reality in my life. That, that morning, as I'm preaching about heaven, my wife is entering heaven for eternity. Um, and the thing is, we know, we know that you know, she's in glory. This is where we want to be. Come on. You know, we, from a detached point of view, we can be like, you know, she's where we all want to be, mate. But when you actually lose that person that you love more than life, it is a comfort, but the pain is real. Uh, and the loss was real. And within a year, I, I lost my home. Uh, we were renting. I, couldn't, I didn't keep the, the place. So I, and then within a year, I lost my job as well. I was made redundant from teaching. So I'd lost my wife, my home, and my job all within uh, a year period. So I really lost everything that was familiar and everything that you would seek to build a life upon. Do you know what I mean? It, it almost reminds me of the story of Job. You know, just mm. everything is stripped away. Yeah. And, and really, it's just him and God. Yeah. And uh, so how did you respond? You know, you've, you've gone for this passion for Jesus. Yeah, 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 life yeah. For him, and then yeah. and all of a sudden, this, this yeah. unforeseen tragedy just comes out of nowhere. Do, do you know what? When, you're, when you are truly, truly humbled, life has a way sometimes of, of making you realize how vulnerable you really are um, and how we don't have control over the, a lot of things that we would like to think we have control over. And there's two things I'd say to that. The first thing is, and my mate said this to me, and this isn't me boasting here, but um, the truth is I built my house upon a rock. I built my life upon Jesus. And when Jesus talks about those two houses, one builds a house on sand or one on the firm foundation, that in both stories, the storm hits both buildings. The difference is one, one absolutely collapses and one stays firm. And the truth is I built my life upon Jesus and he is the rock of my life. And I think for all of us as Christians, everybody experiences suffering. You know, suffering's universal. I, I do not have exclusivity on suffering. Everyone's going to go through suffering. But the truth is, what we believe will be tested at some point. And me and Catherine, even just before that, we were talking, she found this scripture. Just the day before she died, we were talking about everything will be tested with fire. And, and there's another script that says, let everything that's shakeable be shaken so that only what is unshakable will remain. And the truth is, if I built my life upon my wife, my home and my job, I would have completely crumbled. Those things are good, but my life is built upon Jesus. And in that moment, everything that I had built my life upon was tested. And even in this time, through the coronavirus, what's happening, the church has been shaken. You know, the, there are people that will go around saying, listen, I believe that, I believe, you know, God, you're bigger than this, you're good. But actually, you're listening to the news and fear is sinking in and taking root in their lives and, and everything familiar has been stripped away that what, what we believe is being shaken. Um, and actually, it's a grace when that happens because I don't want my life built on anything but Jesus. And the second part to that is, I was completely broken. Even though I built my life on Jesus, you know, I was just, and community Todd held me. I was so privileged to be part of a church 
the, um, my pastor and his wife, they just had a newborn child. They brought me into their home and I lived with them for a better part of a year. And for the, in, in those early years, the church just got around me and I got to experience community loving me and holding me in a way that a lot of people will never experience. So in many ways, mate, I can't boast about it. The truth is I'm here today because God held me and community held me. Um, and I'm just, I'm forever grateful for the love of people that, that raised up around me at that time to love me and support me and encourage me. Um, and you realize that actually we, we need the body. We need people, we need community when we're going through times of suffering. And that, that is certainly something that held me. I love that. I think I heard you say once that sometimes that, that, that community is critical when you're going through suffering and, and grief and loss. And sometimes you're the one that's holding other people up. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes you're the one being held yeah, up. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, it's the beautiful thing about community. Yeah. So, you know, in this series that we've been doing, uh, we, we talked about grief yeah. and what that process looked like. And, and how did you go through that season of grief? Mm. Um, what did it expose in you? What, what, what kind of emotions did you have? And yeah. uh, talk us through that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's always a sensitive topic when you're talking about grief and suffering. And in many ways, I just want to share my experience, but I want to be sensitive to anybody that's listening. Uh, for example, some dear friends of mine lost their, their beautiful child two years ago. Um, I lost my wife. And the thing is, suffering touches everybody at some point in life. Um, and you can't compare them, and it would be unfair to compare them, but there's common threads that run through it of, of loss. Um, and I, I think that the interesting thing for me was, the best analogy anybody gave me, and it really helped me, is that bereavement for me felt like an amputation. So it wasn't something that you get over or something that you move on from. It literally felt like I'd had an arm amputated. And I had to, I had to learn new norms, ways of, of coping without this person that I depended on so much. Um, and that was a really helpful analogy for me. Um, and also, I, I just think that, uh, that we were just talking earlier that there's, there's a great quote from a, a minister who um, once said that life is like a furnace and it will melt you. But you can choose what mold you get melted into. Wow. And wow. in this process, I just got completely melted. But I still had a choice what mold I, I, could, I could be molded into through it. And I just want to come out of this process looking more like Jesus. But it was messy. It was raw. Um, a big battle that I've often gone through in my life is, listen, God has created me to be someone who has got fullness of life. But the truth is, for a lot of my life, I've struggled with depression and feelings of depression. Now, that's not me. I don't accept it. Um, I don't tolerate it. But those feelings are there and real. And what I think bereavement did was it exposed all of that in my life. And there were so many days, Todd, where I felt like there was no hope. There are so many days where even though I love Jesus and trust him, I can't see a better day coming. I can't see a way through this. Um, and it was in days like that that I had to borrow hope from other people. So what I'd do is I'd, I'd make a decision to be around somebody who had hope for my future and could speak in. And it's, do you know, the power of words are so, it's so important that actually we have the ability to speak life and hope over someone that can shape their, not only their today, but their future. 
Or I didn't want to get around people like, oh, mate, oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, you're probably not ever going to get over this. Listen, we, we worship a God that defeated death. And if anything, my life, the, the word I carry in my life is the word revival. And the word revive, revive means to bring something dead back to life. And I, the testimony of my life is that Jesus has brought my heart back to life. But there were many days where I couldn't see this. And that's why, why it's so important to just keep persevering through those times of suffering. You know, someone said to me, if you're going through hell, don't stop. You know? But the temptation so often, mate, was when you're going through the valley of shadow of death, I just wanted to pitch a tent there. I'd be like, well, this is it. This is, this is just how it's going to be. This is how it, it always will be. And I'm, I'm just going to stay here. But that, that's one of the worst things you can do. The, the little steps, just every day is a one step closer to healing, one step closer to wholeness, one step closer to Jesus doing the thing in my heart that will bring me back to life. And like this year, it's been 10 years. It's been the 10-year anniversary. And the interesting thing for me is, Todd, it, it, so it only feels like it's now that I can, I can talk about this in a way that I can see what God's been doing. So that gives you an, an idea of 10 years for me has been. Now, listen, I'm not even where I want to be right now. I know that what God's planned for my life is, is far in excess of even where I am now, but I'm only at the point now I feel where I can actually look at it and share it in a way that is honoring to God in what he's doing rather than it just being a sad story. Do you know what I mean? So, um, but it, it, was, it was difficult for me to grapple with feelings of depression, mate, because um, there was a period of time where I actually went on some medication for it as well. And I, I struggled with guilt about that. And surely if I'm a Christian, I, should be, I shouldn't need this type of medication and things like that. But actually what it did for me in that period was I went to see a bereavement counselor as well about three years in. And I was on medication for about six months. And it was just really reassuring to speak to somebody that could say, what you're feeling is okay. And what you're feeling is normal. And a better day is coming. It was worth it just to hear that. Um, and it's just, I, th I think often the healing process looks a lot messier than, than what, we, what we think it should be. Right. And it's not as quick as yeah. we would like it to yeah. be. You know, yeah. It's been a 10-year journey for you. And, yeah. and, I'm, and as you said, you haven't arrived yet. That yeah. process is still ongoing. But yeah. you're in a much better place now than you were five yeah, years ago. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, you said you felt guilt or shame for, for, um, for taking medication. And, mm. and I think that's, you know, a lot of Christians might share that because they think, oh, you know, I'm supposed to be happy all the time. I'm supposed right? to be yeah. positive and full of faith. And, and, and that we, we can carry this guilt if we're not there. And, and mm. what did God show you? I mean, were there, were there shifts in your theology, I guess, in, in terms mm. of how you perceived that's good. Uh, your faith yeah. in all of this? Yeah, mate, I was angry. I was angry and I was hurt and I was in pain. Um, and in many ways, my theology didn't, didn't have room for this to happen. Like, I, didn't, I, I couldn't ever imagine this type of tragedy hitting my life because, you know, we're going for Jesus here. Right. You know, we're, we're, we're in God's presence. He's covering us, his shelters. I wasn't even prepared for something like this to happen. But um, there's, a, there's a minister in America called Bill Johnson, and he says that when you go to the scripture, if you go to the scripture with something on your heart, all of a sudden you'll see it everywhere. So for example, if you're thinking about healing, you'll go to the scripture and healing is just everywhere. And if you go to the scripture with suffering, you realize that actually suffering is everywhere, even in the life of Jesus. That, that my, my Lord and Savior suffered, yet I expected my journey to be different. Mm -hmm. 
Now, it's not that we tolerate the works of the enemy in our lives, but it's just, it was reassuring for me to see that actually suffering touched lots of people's lives. And there's this one, there's this one bizarre bit in the book of Acts, which often gets so overlooked. And it, it says, it's, it's that brilliant bit where Peter gets broken out of jail. And we love it. You know, he's in jail. An angel comes, opens the gates. Da, da, da. The, the passage just before that says, James, the brother of John, was put to death by the sword. And Peter was put in prison. So, and I remember reading that, Todd, and thinking, so where was James's angel? You know, and, and, and really what we've got is we've, we've got to handle these tensions in life of the truth is God is a good, good father, yet I'm in pain. But, I want to allow that truth to shape my life rather than my pain to shape my life. And there's a, a minister in Africa called Heidi Baker. And she says that the, the, when she looks at the West, she says the biggest mistake we make in the West is we allow our experience to define our faith rather than the word of God to define our faith. And someone just said something brilliant recently that truth trumps true bit of a mouthful truth trumps true and what that means is yeah it's true what I'm going through right now I can't deny I can't deny the pain I can't deny the loss I can't deny my my situation my experience that's true but truth says he's a good good father truth says he works through all things for the good of those who love him truth in the word of God tells me he's the God that brings the dead back to life and if there's something that I just want to communicate to anyone that's watching this today it's that no matter what you're going through today, he is a good, good father. And that he will bring us through what we're going through now. What anyone's going through right now, he is good and he's powerful to bring us through it and to bring the healing and the wholeness through that we need to shape us more into the likeness of Christ. And um, there's a beautiful picture that somebody gave me recently. And um, it's of something called kintsugi. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's, have you heard of kintsugi? It's the Japanese, Japanese art yes, form. Okay. Yeah. And for people who don't know what kintsugi is, I don't imagine people will. It's the art form of taking a, a, a vase, of, of breaking that vase, and then putting it back together. But what we often do is, if we want to put something back together, we use glue that's invisible because we don't want to show the cracks. But what kintsugi does is, it, it, it glues it back together using gold. So it highlights the cracks. And so it's beautiful that actually what you've got is you've got this vessel that is restored and put back together, but is actually more beautiful and more valuable now that it's been put back together than it was even before it was broken. And that's just a beautiful picture for me of God's restoration process, that when he restores us, he always creates something more beautiful in us through what's happened than what originally was there in the first place. Okay, so as I've been listening to you talk, I, I hear three key decisions that you made to help you navigate the pain and the suffering and the loss that you went through. Um, first of all, you chose to press into community. You chose mm -hmm. to, to um, walk with people yeah. and not pull away from people. And that's so hard to do when you're hurting. You know, the, yeah. the natural inclination is to pull away yeah. when we're in pain. And then you made the decision to uh, trust the word of God, the truth of God mm. over your own emotions and over even your own experience. Yep. And, you, and ultimately, you just chose to hang on to God. Mm. Uh, whether you could feel his presence or hear his voice or not, you just, you hung on even though you didn't know why, Yeah. right? Yep. Um, what would have happened if you wouldn't have done those things? Where would you yeah, be today? that's a good question. I think 
a really good picture we've got, or I've got in my heart of this, is when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt into the promised land. And for me, Egypt, my Egypt, is that place of pain. And if I hadn't made those decisions, I'd still be in Egypt today. And, and the, the problem is, you can totally justify you can justify bad decision-making. You can justify your pain because it's like, look what's happened to me, God. And what you can do is you can build your house in Egypt and choose to stay and live there. Whereas the truth is God wants to lead us out into the promised land. Um, and that we were chatting earlier, Todd, that you know, everyone says that time's a healer. The truth is time helps, but only Jesus can heal. You know, I, I could still be 10 years stuck in, in Egypt 10 years on. And the interesting thing about trauma, when trauma is happening happen to us, is trauma keeps us emotionally in that place of where the trauma is. So it can be 10, 20, 30 years, but you can still feel the raw emotions and the pain of back then. And what I love that God's been doing in my life is he brings up these memories, painful memories, because he wants to heal me of them. He doesn't want me to be staying in this holding pattern. I always want to be moving forward with God, even if it's painful. I want to be moving forward because I want to enter the promised land. You know, not only heaven when we die, but I want to become the man God's called me to be. I want to be a man who lives in joy. I want to be a man who lives in peace. I want to be a man who lives in freedom from sickness and depression and all those things that seek to keep me in bondage. I want to be a man. I want to be, I want Jesus, God, to form me more into the likeness of Christ. That's a man I want to be. And from that place, I want to see his power touch other people's lives. But I can't do that if I stay in Egypt. And I, I guess that's the thing. And, and I think one of the key things I've learned to do is to keep re-signing up to the truth. What do you mean by that? So it's kind of saying, Lord, I don't deny my situation right now. And I don't deny my disappointment, my pain, my failure, whatever it is. But I'm going to choose to believe your word. I'm going to choose to believe that you're a good, good father. I'm going to choose to believe you've got a promised land for me to enter. I'm going to choose to believe that you work through all things for the good of those who love you. I'm going to, I'm going to re-sign up to your word right now. Because the problem is if I don't re-sign up, my experience becomes my defining factor. And that can just take you in a whole load of, of ways. You know, what would have happened? You know, the amazing thing is part of God's beautiful restoration of my life is I have the most incredible wife uh, called Nancy now that we, we, we've been married um, five years, I think. Um, we've got two beautiful boys, Jonas and Judah. We've got one on the way. And this is, this is my kintsugi. This is God putting me back together and it's beautiful and and those, Nancy and the boys, are such a precious, precious gift from God that is part of my healing. But also, that isn't where it stops. It isn't that I've, I've entered the promised land now. Do you know what? We're going to go further than I can ever ask or imagine because God's a good, good father. But I'd be forfeiting the goodness of God if I'd stayed in Egypt. But one thing I want to say is there might be some, somebody hearing this that lost their wife or, or husband 10 years ago, and they're not remarried, they don't have kids. But in many ways, the thing is, it's what God is doing in our hearts, in the here and now. I would like to be able to say, sat here now, that even if I was a single man 10 years on, that actually, Todd, Jesus is still bringing my heart back to life, and I'm re-signing up to the fact that he's a good, good father, and that he's got hope and a future for me. Do you know what I mean? Because that's, 
these things are, are just the extras. The real, the real miracle is having that encounter and breakthrough in our heart and mind with Jesus, where he brings us into that place of maturity and freedom. That's the miracle. The rest of the stuff is, is wonderful, but that's the miracle, our connection with Jesus and the healing that he wants to bring. And, and I would be forfeiting that. The grace he's got for me is if I justified my decision-making in my pain, which is very easy to do. But I feel like pain brings about a rebellious spirit. I found that in my life, you know, it can bring about this, uh, so what God, you've done, you know, why why should I, type of thing. And all I'm doing is adding to my own, it's like Um, self-harm. It can be a sickly sweet spiral going down when you're in a place of depression and a place of pain. Because you you feel justified. You feel justified in it, yeah. But the truth is, none of that leads to life. And even if the decisions are painful, even if I'm saying, Lord, I'm choosing to believe you're a good father, but I don't feel your presence right now. I can't feel you, love. I'm not hearing you. I'm just choosing to believe that you're a good, good father. And, and that's why it's so wonderful to get around men like you, Todd, and other people that, that are living in that place of hope, are living in that place of truth, that can speak into your life in that. And if, if, if you isolate yourself when you're in pain, you, you end up cutting off God's sources of grace into your life. And that's why it's painful to engage in community, but it, it, was, a, it was the biggest source of life to me. Wow. So great. I, I, I guess, one, you know, last week I, I shared about grieving. And I guess one question I wanted to ask you is, is do you feel like you did anything, you know, in addition to what we've already talked about, like, did you set aside time to like walk through that process? Was there an intentionality to it? Because I agree, like if you if you just wallow in it, yeah. if you just say let your pain be kind of the end of the story, yeah. then then it's hard to get out of it. How do you feel like? Was there was there anything that you did? Was it just seeking God? Was it community, or was it all of yeah. the above? I I feel like there's there's a time and a season for everything. For me, the grieving process it was so messy. It was a bit like a storm would kind of blow in and blow out. And there were times where I engaged with it more, there were times when I didn't. And what I've learned to do is I've learned to allow God to bring things up in my heart and to, to be sensitive to when he's doing that and engage with it then rather than going digging for things right. when, I, when I don't necessarily need to. And the, the truth is everybody will find their own, their own way in that because the grieving process is so different for everybody. Right. Um, the way that I've dealt with it might not necessarily be the same that other people deal with it, but there are common threads that can help us all through it, such as the word of God, such as community, such as perseverance. Um, so what I've learned to do is I've learned to allow the promptings of the spirit of God to lead me into those type of things. But certainly, especially when I went to see the bereavement counselor, for example, it was just healthy for me to be in a, an area where I can just discuss it. There are times where I, d- I didn't want to discuss it, and that's fine, and it's, it's being kind to yourself, in it? I mean, one of the things that I fell into the trap of was on the, on the date of her death every year, I did the same thing. Because in the first year, it kind of helped me, but then it didn't help me the past... But I, I, I kept doing it because it's what I had to do. And it ended up being something that bound me rather than something that gave me life. Um, but I'd, I'd say to guys to be kind to yourselves in it. Um, but also to allow other people in. Because they're the, they're the people that can help you as you want to persevere through to freedom. You know, one of the things about your story that strikes me is, is, is that that God clearly has a calling on your life uh, to do ministry in prisons, mm-hmm. and you've been doing it for a number of years now and, and doing it well. 
and, and people's lives are being changed. And, and it seems like that's something that, that was opposed and, and that part of mm. this whole, the timing of it and everything, it was about opposing yeah. this calling yeah. that's on your life. Yeah. And, and, and what would you say to people that, that you know, they, they, they feel called to something and then they encounter some massive uh, opposition? Um, what's your encouragement as you've walked through that? Again, very similar to what we've been saying is to keep persevering and to keep and, and to allow the truth of God to be what defines us rather than our emotions or our experience. Because if we build our life on our emotions and our experience, it's such fragile. It's like building your house on sand. Whereas only by building our house on the word of God and getting those scriptures. And, and you know, the, the challenge is to everybody who would be listening to this. What is the word that God's spoken to you right now? You know, there would be times in my life someone might ask me that. So I'm like, I don't, I don't know. But you know what I need to do? I need to go into the, into the word of God and say, God, will you give me a promise for this season that I can hold on to? And, and, and I encourage whenever you guys do that, write out on a piece of paper, put it on your mirror, put it in the lounge, put it by your TV so that you see that word of God every day and declare it out. There's such power in declaring God's word out. You know, God doesn't do anything in his word without declaration. And the power that we have as, as, as sons of the living God to be able to speak God's word out and to see it established and fulfilled. So my, my challenge would be, what is the promise God's given? What is the word of God you're holding on to that you are declaring out over yourself, over your family, over your situation, day in, day out? And God is good to his word and is faithful and powerful enough to to fulfill that promise. Because one of the things is with the promised land, the reason why the Israelites didn't enter was unbelief. It was unbelief. It was there for them, but it was unbelief. And I, I know that God has got, for a lot of us, Todd, there are promised lands. There are breakthroughs that we all want to see. I don't want to not see those breakthroughs because I've wavered through unbelief. I want to allow, even if I'm, everything is screaming the opposite, to say, God, I'm trusting your word. I'm going to declare it out, and I'm going to keep moving forward in the direction that you've shown me last. Yeah. Even when circumstances and yep. everything seems to is contradict opposing. it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Well, Ronan, I love your story for so many reasons. Thank but, you, mate. but there's something about, you know, it's, it's one thing if somebody is you know, has encountered God, and, and, and they have a great story of encountering Jesus, and maybe they've been healed in some way, and, and, and that's great, but, but it's the people that, that encounter hardship and trial and loss, and they walk through that dark night of the soul like yep. you have, and yet they've hung on, and they've come out the other side, and they're still believing, and they're still trusting, and they're still choosing to, to follow even when you had every excuse in the world to say, you know what? This isn't, this isn't, um, this isn't what I want anymore. And, and, that, and that reminds me, you know, how did you deal with the why question? I'm sure that came up uh, and was something yeah. you really wrestled with. Yeah, it was. And in many ways, the why question, it, it's so big because we, obviously there's a whole theological thing of sin and the enemy at work. And for me, it, it's that we're in a battle. And that as I look to the scripture to be my template, I see that there are many great men and women of God that went before we would consider it to be their time. Now, again, I still believe, I, it's not that we tolerate stuff. 
So whenever I, I see the work of the enemy at work, whether it be through sickness or suffering, I'm going to be praying for a miracle breakthrough in that. I'm never going to stop fighting. I mean, one thing we haven't necessarily discussed, um, and I, I don't always tell too many people because it's so precious, but we actually prayed for Catherine to be raised from the dead. Right. We prayed for four days for her to be raised um, because Jesus did it. Right. And at some point, we all need to ask ourselves, whose disciples are we? Right. That actually Jesus says we'll do what he did. So for yeah. me, if I can't pray for my wife to be raised, then who can I? Yeah. And I'm so grateful that I had a, a community of Christians that just backed me on that. Right. I mean, because Jesus said, you know, he, when he sent out his disciples, he said, you know, preach the gospel, heal yep. the sick, raise the, raise the dead. Right. And so, you know, if we, if we can't still ask God to do that, then, yeah. you know, what are we doing? And for me, that's the re-signing up. So I didn't see my wife come back from the dead but I've re-signed up to that being my truth and not my experience. The word of God says it, so I'm going to do it. And honestly, right, there's this, there's this beautiful thing in, in the story of David and Goliath where, a bit gruesome, but after David obviously kills Goliath, there's something really profound that he does, and it is a bit gruesome, but he goes and picks up Goliath's sword and he cuts Goliath's head off with it. And I feel like the, the, the principle in that is that sword was designed to kill David. But it's the very sword that ended up David using to chop the, de- the enemy's head off. Right. Yeah. And the very thing that the devil wants to destroy our lives with, I want to see God turn around in our lives to destroy the work of the devil. So where the enemy wanted to end my hope, my life, my joy through taking my wife 10 years ago, actually, that very thing, I'm, I'm going to see God use and work out in my life to bring other people back from the dead, physically and spiritually. Right. Um, yeah. And that's what I'm passionate about seeing. So the why question, it is in there, but in many ways, it can just tangle us up. And even if God told me why, would that even necessarily help? The truth is, I need a a fresh living touch from Jesus today to become the man that he's called me to be. And I want to live out that call that Jesus put on my life, which is a call for everyone. It's not unique for me. It's to heal the sick, raise the dead, preach the gospel, to be a, a living manifestation of his presence on earth. Wow. Amen. Hey, would you close this time just by praying for yeah. us and for all those who are watching? Because you know we're all suffering in yeah. some way in this season. Whether it's a, you've you've lost a loved mm. one, or you've just lost uh, you know a job, or you're mm. experiencing economic hardship. Wherever you're going through, we've all lost something. Yeah. And I love what Ronan's saying there about about God turning it around and yeah. using it. Uh, to destroy the works of the devil, to, to, to actually redeem mm. your pain and your loss and your suffering for, in ways that you might not even think is possible mm. right now. So would you just pray yeah, for course, us in that regard? Course. Father, whoever's listening and watching this right now, I just declare a fresh encounter with your presence today. You are what we need, Jesus. So Holy Spirit, I just pray that you fill everyone watching now to overflowing right now. I declare joy. I declare peace. I declare hope. I declare breakthrough. I declare restoration in Jesus' mighty name. Father, I pray for the for the strength to persevere through this season, but I declare breakthrough right now in Jesus' mighty name. I declare encounter with you, the living God, for whoever is watching right now. Lord, that hope will arise in their hearts. And Lord, there's a beautiful promise in Proverbs chapter six that you've given us that says, if you catch a thief, they must pay back seven times what was taken. Lord, I declare that whatever the enemy has stolen, killed, robbed, and destroyed in people's lives, I declare a sevenfold return right now in Jesus' mighty name in whatever way that looks like father and lord i just declare full restoration and redemption of whatever people are going through and lord in this time of being stripped back and suffering i pray father that you would reveal to them your love 
and your passion for them, Lord, I pray. And there's a beautiful promise, Lord, in your word that says, who is this coming up out of the desert, leaning on their beloved? And Lord, I declare over whoever is watching this right now that they will come up out of this place of testing, out of this time of suffering, leaning so closely on you, Lord. So I just declare hope and joy, Lord, to fill whoever is watching today in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening today. To listen to more messages like this one, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk forward slash podcast. We are looking forward to seeing you soon.